Now we turn to look at Acts 24 again. It's been said that it's always easy the night before to get up early the next morning. Uh, that's true in a lot of contexts. It's true, for example, if you're a student with an essay deadline and have some very interesting conversation going on at midnight. It's always easy the night before to get up early the next morning. It's true if you're going on holiday the next day, but there's a good World Cup match on that evening. It's very true that you can delay things and think that you can get up early the next morning. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the procrastinator. Uh, Proverbs pictures the procrastinator as someone who always can think of a reason why he shouldn't do something. Uh, he won't go out into the street because he says, there's a lion outside, or I may get murdered in the streets. And there are fascinating examples within the Bible of people who put off what they should have done with tragic results. And at the close of Acts 24, we meet with, some, with such a man. His name was Governor Felix. Felix, whose name means happy. Mr. Happy. He was happy in some respects. Uh, he had uh, a lot of wealth and power. He had an opportunity to hear the gospel. But because of his procrastination, uh, because of his unwillingness to decide when he was challenged by the apostle, his life was far from happy. Let's remind ourselves how we got to this point, or rather how Paul got to this point. Paul had traveled to Jerusalem uh, with money for the church in Jerusalem. There had been a famine in Judea. He's got money for the poor. And this was a great project on his heart. He had been counseled against going by many Christians on the way who warned him against the danger that lay there. When he gets to Jerusalem, there is a great deal of ill feeling against Paul uh, amongst the Jews. Uh, the reason for that is that many of the Jews thought that he was undermining the law, the law of Moses. Uh, they heard reports that Paul was proclaiming a way to God that was based simply on faith. He was stressing free grace. And some of them didn't like this. They thought that it was far too easy. What about the law? Paul's throwing away the law of Moses, they were saying. And then uh, when Paul is in the temple precincts, some of them from the province of Asia, kick up this great riot, uh, accusing him of having defiled the temple because they had heard that he had with him a Greek friend, a Christian who was not a Jew, who was not circumcised. And the rumor had got about that he had taken this uncircumcised person into the temple precincts and so had defiled it. And what we have had is a number of uh, informal hearings. He has defended himself before the, the crowd in the temple area. Read of that in chapter 22. There's a more formal hearing before the Sanhedrin uh, in chapter 23. And now he has been taken from Jerusalem uh, up to Caesarea because there had been a plot against him. Uh, he is taken under armed escort. It's a huge contingent. Some have reckoned that 80% uh, of the military manpower in Jerusalem was assigned to looking after Paul as he was taken to Caesarea. And now the trial 
proper begins before Governor Felix, Marcus Antonius Felix. And the passage that we are looking at divides into three sections. Uh, There is the accusation or the prosecution, uh, which covers verses 1 to 9. Uh, There's the defense that Paul makes, verses 10 to 21. And then there is the call for decision in verses 22 to 27. So let's look first of all at the prosecution. Paul has been kept for five days under guard in Caesarea, waiting for his accusers to arrive. Ananias, the high priest, uh, comes along with a lawyer by the name of Tertullus. And Tertullus presents the charges. He begins with some very uh, high flute and flowery language uh, in regard to Felix, praising Felix up to uh, the rafters for all the work that he's done for Israel. We have enjoyed, he says, a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. It's a load of nonsense. Felix was a very cruel and erratic governor. And he was renowned for having stamped down brutally on a number of insurrections in, uh, in Israel. Uh, he was uh, a, a, an ordinary commoner. He was a freedman who had risen to the top of the pile because of his connections. His elder brother worked in the imperial treasury and had enabled him to get onto the ladder. Uh, Felix's cruelty, his lack of moral backbone, his openness to bribery and so on led led to a great increase in crime in Judea. And his time as governor was marked by feuds within the system and disturbances which he put down with brutal severity. And he is best known through the words of the writer Tacitus who described him as a man who ruled as a king with the spirit of a slave. There was a servile spirit to this man, Felix. He had three marriages. This one to Drusilla is his second marriage. All accounts uh, make out that Drusilla was a real glamour queen. She was a stunning beauty. Uh, She was the daughter of Herod Agrippa, who had put James the Apostle to death. And Felix had taken her as his wife while she was still married. She got married at the age of 15 to uh, an eastern king. And he had taken her to himself. Well, Tertullus goes on to make the accusation, uh, knowing full well that Felix has got this reputation for someone who comes down heavy on people who are are a challenge to uh, to law and order. And he focuses on the mobs that have been connected with Paul. He accuses Paul of stirring up riots all over the world, of being a ringleader of a sect called the Nazarites, uh, and of somebody who has really upset the Jews by desecrating or trying to desecrate the temple. 
Tertullus finishes, and the Jews who are with him chime in with their, their hearty hear-hears that these accusations are true. But of course, they weren't true. They were either totally untrue, for example, the, the accusation that he had tried to defile the temple, or they were a twisting of the facts. No one would deny that trouble had followed Paul, that there had been riots and mobs, but it wasn't true that he was deliberately stirring up trouble. It was a jealous Jewish people who had stirred up trouble wherever Paul had gone. To call him a ringleader of the Nazarite sect as though he was some kind of a a mafia leader was completely overblown language. So Tertullus uh, makes his prosecution and Felix gives the nod to Paul who can now step up and give his defence. Paul's notably more restrained in how he addresses Felix. Uh, He says, I know that for a number of years you have been judge over this nation. (laughs) Well, that's quite notable for what it doesn't say. He doesn't say anything about the the character of Felix's uh, rule over the nation. He defends his behaviour. He points out that what he's going to say is easily verified because it only took place 12 days ago. And Paul wasn't arguing in the temple. He wasn't stirring up crowds in the synagogues or anywhere else. The charges against him are groundless. And Paul is very adamant that he can say sincerely, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Paul's doing something very important. He's asserting that he has sought to be a citizen who has supported law and order within the state. Christianity's detractors have often tried to make out that Christianity is a threat to normal uh, life within a nation. And around the year 200, Tertullian, one of the the, the writers of the early church, uh, gave a defense which is a bit similar to to Paul's. Uh, He's responding to the accusation that Christians stir up trouble. And Tertullian says, in effect, if you want to go and find a law-abiding citizen anywhere, go and check out where the Christians are. Because they are the ones who are honest and hardworking and who respect the rule of law and order. Christians are the very best of citizens. That's an important principle, isn't it? It's one for which each one of us should be known for. That we are people who can be relied upon to be good and honest role models. It's interesting, uh, during the World Cup, uh, seeing the Brazilian players, the Christian players, uh, getting down to pray at the end of their matches. And we had a wee bit of a discussion about this. Uh, I was a wee bit uncomfortable about the thought that uh, they were implying that uh, their faith was a ticket to World Cup glory. It's just a little bit too like health and prosperity gospel. So I was interested to see how they were going to respond when they got a drubbing by Germany. 
and it was good that they came out uh, bearing themselves up well. But what was interesting also was to read that some uh, journalists who are very often uh, hard-bitten folks who don't have much uh, patience for Christianity were willing to acknowledge that uh, with the rise of evangelicalism in Brazil, uh, these evangelical uh, footballers had been positive role models in contrast to what had gone before where they were known for being hard-drinking carnival revelers. And I thought that's the way it should be, isn't it? Authentic Christianity always produces people who are good for society. Good for society. The real thing that is on trial here, as it has been in the preceding chapters, is the gospel, isn't it? It's really uh, the Lord Jesus Christ that is on trial. It's the resurrection, as Paul mentions it in verse 21 and again in verse 25. And he narrows down the trial to the one key issue. He's happy to acknowledge that he's a follower of the way. As a believer in Jesus, he believes in one who is risen from the dead. And not only so, but Jesus' resurrection is proof that all men will rise and will stand before Jesus, who has been appointed as judge because of his resurrection from the dead. Does that justify his arrest? That's a question. Does believing in the resurrection make it right for me to be put behind bars? So there is a decision which is being called for. And look, the writer makes it clear at this point that Felix, the governor, should know that Paul ought to be acquitted because he makes this interesting comment that uh, Paul, that Felix was familiar with the way. He was familiar with the way. Uh, he ought to have known that there was no grounds for uh, verdict against Paul, he should have released him at that point, but he decides not to, true to form. He wants to put off the decision, and so he's going to wait until Claudius Lysias, the commander, comes, and they can make a decision at a later point. So Paul's kept under guard by the centurion, and is allowed freedom, and his friends are given the opportunity uh, to visit him. And then something interesting happens. A few days go by, and Paul has a visit from Mr. and Mrs. Happy. And they come in all of their pomp to see Paul and to hear Paul give an explanation of the gospel. Uh, it seems that there's something in Paul, in his bearing, in his words, that are attractive to Felix. And he's sent for. He's given a chance to speak. Now put yourself in Paul's shoes. How would you have pitched your talk to Felix and Drusilla. You might have uh, argued that what you want at this point is to obtain a release, and so uh, you're going to ingratiate yourself to him because you argue, well, the gospel's best served by me being out there and not in here. Or you might have said, well, I need to build up a relationship with Felix. I need to get to know him 
And over a period of time, it's going to be really good to have someone who is in a position of authority as a friend. I will uh, I'll not do anything which is going to jeopardise that. Now, we have a lot of that. Uh, it's a very strong uh, feeling in our own day, which, because society is so antagonistic to the gospel, that we tend to stress uh, friendship and the slow uh, build-up of a relationship. But so often, time goes by, and the gospel is seldom mentioned. And actually, Paul is not motivated by either a desire to obtain his freedom or to gain an influential friend. Paul is guided by the one principle that Felix is a sinner who needs to be saved. And Felix is someone who has the ability to surround himself with lots of things which protect him from the reality that he's a lost sinner. He's got plenty of people who will say nice things to him. He has got all the trappings of wealth and power. He's insulated himself from his, the spiritual reality. And Paul knows that his calling is to be an ambassador for Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I trust it is plain to your own conscience. Paul feared the Lord more than he feared any man. Humanly speaking, the man before whom Paul is standing has him in his power. He can dispose of him in whatever way he wishes. And Paul is far more concerned that he should not displease the Lord God by blowing this opportunity to tell Felix what he needs to hear. And what he needs to hear is this, something like this, Mr. Happy, you'll never be happy. You'll never live up to your name unless you learn to be sad. Unless you know why you need Jesus Christ as your saviour, you will never be truly happy. And so Paul delivers a sermon which is the very opposite of how to win friends and influence people. It's the very kind of thing that Felix has been shielding himself from all these years. It's the kind of thing that nobody else would have had the guts to speak to him about. He speaks about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Oh, that's a real powerful sermon in that context especially righteousness so Paul would have spoken about the, the awesome holiness of God God alone he would have said is righteous and he is the standard of all conduct we can't excuse ourselves because we look at another human standard. God alone is good. And his law is, is wonderful. It's precious to believers. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. But these radiant commands of God 
they show up the darkness. They shine into lives and they expose the darkness. And they were doing that that day in the lives of the couple that were standing before him. This beauty queen, Drusilla, she had darkness in her heart, didn't she? Just as Felix, her husband, had. They were living in a wrong relationship. She'd been unfaithful. For five years, they reckon she's 20 now, she'd married at 15. For five years, she'd been following her lust and passion. The righteousness of God was something neither of them wanted to hear about, but they heard about it from Paul. Self-control was certainly not something they wanted to hear about either. Because that was something which manifestly wasn't part of their makeup. Felix had shown no self-control when he simply uh, did a smash and grab on Drusilla. She was another man's wife. He simply took her to himself and she had no compunction about going. And the judgment to come. Another unpalatable topic. People can live with the the disapproval of society. People can tend to tough it out if people don't really think highly of their their conduct. And the, the more wealth and the more friends you have, the better your work. The easier it is to tough it out. And sometimes it comes to the point where your lifestyle can even become something to joke about but to tell people that there is a higher judge and it is to him they must give an account. Well, that's unsettling, isn't it? To know that this judge sees all about us, that we can't hide from him. No wonder Felix trembles. He becomes afraid. He calls an end to the audience. Why does he do that? Because he knows that at this point uh, there must be a decision. He has to decide. Uh, Paul, we're quite sure, didn't leave him without any hope. This wasn't all just doom and gloom. It wasn't all about judgment. Paul preached the the gospel. He he spoke about faith in Jesus Christ. So he was pointing him to to Christ who could be his saviour, who could deliver him from this this lack of self-control, this lack of righteousness and the inevitability of being condemned at the judgment. But he doesn't want to make his decision. The great uh, preacher Alexander White speculates, and it's just a speculation that it was Drusilla perhaps at this point who interjected or who, who nudged him to, to terminate the audience. We don't hear anything about her response. What was she thinking during all? She must have been very uncomfortable. Well, Felix, Felix did hear Paul again. Uh, it seems that he continued to be fascinated by him. But the fascination, of course, was mixed with greed because he didn't just want to hear from Paul. He wanted to to have a bribe. And so he would ask Paul to come to him, hoping that Paul was going to, to give him a, a bribe for his release. But nothing, of course, came. Two years passed. There was a change in governorship. And think of it, think of the, 
the hard-heartedness. Felix simply left Paul in prison because he wanted to carry favor with the Jews. There was a hardening in his heart that led him to that point. There had been a time for decision. There had been a time when he had been attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ because he heard of Jesus under the preaching of Paul. And he put it off. And he put it off. And he kept on putting it off. Over two years he kept doing that. Until it was too late. And Felix and Drusilla leave a poignant warning against being attracted to Jesus without making a commitment. The only thing we know actually about Priscilla after this from outside sources of history is that she perished when Vesuvius erupted. She was fleeing in Pompeii, clinging to her child Agrippa and was overtaken by the molten lava. One day, both will be overtaken by the judgment of Christ. The famous incident took place during the American War of Independence. Uh, in, it was on Christmas Day, 1776, uh, when uh, George Washington, uh, leading the uh, American Revolutionary Army, crossed over the Delaware River on a freezing night. And on the other side of the river, uh, there was an encampment of the, the Hessian army. The Hessians were Germans who were fighting on the side of the British Empire. The colonel was a man by the name of Colonel Rowe. And that night, he was playing cards in his tent uh, with his uh, officers. And he had given strict instructions that he was not to be disturbed. And a messenger came to him with a note warning of the fact that Washington and his troops had crossed the river. And the note was handed to him, but he put it in his pocket. By the time the game was over, it was too late. And the note was found on his dead body the next morning, along with the death of many of his soldiers. He had procrastinated, he had put it off until it was too, too late. So here is the lesson for us tonight at a number of different levels. There's the lesson if we are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ to heed the voice, the pleading of the Holy Spirit and not to delay, but to trust in Jesus as Savior now while we have the opportunity to do so. There's a parallel with Felix and Drusilla that if there's something wrong in our lives, to deal with it now. If we're in a wrong relationship, if there's a lack of integrity in the workplace, if there's something that needs to be put straight, deal with it today. Or perhaps in a positive sense, it's a calling of God on your life to do something or to step out for the Lord Jesus Christ in his service. Whatever it is, don't put off doing now what God is calling you to do. 
Felix said he would wait for a more convenient time. And of course, the more convenient time never came. But there is a day when we will stand before the judgment throne of Christ. And we'll give an account for our lives. May we act with decisiveness now. And whatever it is that God has been speaking to us about. So that on that day, we'll not be confounded. We'll not be too late. Let's bow in prayer. Holy Father, your word to us this evening is a solemn word. A word that is tinged with sadness concerning the pride of man. And we see ourselves mirrored so often in the, the delaying tactics of Felix and Drusilla. And Lord, we pray that we would have hearts which are tender before you. Hearts which by continued obedience tremble at the approach of sin. Lord, as we were thinking this morning, you have sent Jesus into the world that he might be our king. Lord, help us to hasten to obey his commands that we might live with full assurance of your love towards us. Lord, grant us full and glad obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.